0: Well, if you are going to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter three, and I'll just warn you up front: uh, we have a lot of work to do as a church. And uh, I was gifted an extra cup of coffee today, so I may I may go a little fast. Just someone like slow me down if if I do. But we we have a lot because in John chapter three, I don't know if you know this, but the most famous Bible verse in the entire world, the most well known Bible verse in the entire world, will be taught today. Is John three sixteen? Of course you you may have heard that or if you're a WWE fan you know about Austin 316 which was a complete stealing of, of the I, I don't know why that popped in my head but we we have a lot of work to do there's a reason why that verse is so popular and there's, a, there's there's some some depth to it and so here's what we're doing as a church we're walking through the gospel of John we're wanting to get a good look at who John is or excuse me who Jesus is we don't care who John is uh, we want to get a look at, good look at who Jesus is wh- wh- what Jesus was about we want to be sure that when we're discussing Jesus that we're not discussing the American opinions about a Jesus-like figure that isn't rooted in anything that's in history. We want to look at people who knew Jesus, who talked to Jesus, who can paint real uh, um, first-person observations of Jesus. And that's what John has done for us. In the first season, we're just trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? And John paints this picture that Jesus is not just some man. We don't get to say, man, he's a really great moral teacher. I love him for his morals, there's, there's something that has to be more about Jesus. And we, we wrestled with that in the, I called it the first season. And last week we started this next season of John, uh, looking in, at the end of chapter two, and we're trying to answer this question together for the next few weeks is, uh, does Jesus really know what I'm like? And will Jesus really accept me? Um, because, because like we said last week, Jesus knows what is in man, and that's why he doesn't entrust his mission to man. So, so will he accept us? And so today we're going to see one of the, the first of several people, uh, in the series that, that they, they talk to Jesus and they bring their questions to Jesus, and we get to see an interaction between Jesus and this man. And what you're going to notice this week, next week, and the several weeks after is that when people, when people go to Jesus Jesus honestly not talk about him in like some some you know caricatures not not you know assume the worst in him but when when people go to him honestly and ask their honest questions even if they're off base even if they don't know what they're talking about Jesus deals kindly with people who deal with him honestly Nicodemus the guy that we're going to look at today is a guy who is really really smart he's one of the Pharisees uh the Pharisees are a group of people that they they constantly kind of coming up against Jesus and they're really angry. They're trying to, you know, trap him. A lot of questions like that. But Nicodemus goes a different route. He actually brings the concerns to Jesus's face and deals with him honestly. And it turns out Jesus has time for him. And so if you're someone who is kind of skeptical about church, kind of skeptical about Jesus, you're highly intelligent. You've, you've done some legwork. You have put some thought into this, but you still wrestle with this idea of if God is good and God is powerful, then why are the, all these bad things happening, you could go the one route of just painting broad caricatures and dismissing Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you know, he deals with Pharisees like that in a different way. But when Nicodemus actually says, listen, what you're saying doesn't quite make sense to me. Let me ask a question. Jesus has all night to talk to him. And so let me just encourage you that if, if you or someone you know is just like, hey, I'm really struggling with some of the things that Jesus taught. I'm not able to figure out how to apply that to my life. Then maybe the advice would be to just like approach him on his terms and deal deal with him honestly. When I was a kid, uh, I don't know, do they still put toys in cereal boxes? Any kids know? I don't know. Is that still a thing? I don't know with the economy, what it is, like the boxes are getting smaller and they probably took the toys out. But uh, when I was a kid, there were toys. And one of my favorite toys was uh, the box would have on the back some kind of picture or words or phrase and you could see it, but there's like, you knew that there's a hidden message in the box. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's probably like in red ink or blue ink. And you had to eat probably, you know, 1200 calories worth of cereal to get down far enough into the box to get the magic glasses because if you get the magic glasses and you put the magic glasses on and you look at the box it had a completely different picture or the secret message came undone is is this jiving with any of the kids in here y- yeah no oh man your childhood I'm so sorry we're going to do better uh, for you this was amazing it was like it was like secret messages from you know craft or whoever put these cereal boxes together and and it was just it was just great you could couldn't see the real message until you had the glasses in your hand. You couldn't get the glasses unless you bought the cereal and you ate the cereal down to find the glasses and put them on. Sometimes there's a message that is just as plain as anything to see, but we're just missing the last piece of hardware to see it. In uh, in the movie National Treasure, you have uh, the, the one of America's greatest actors, Nicolas Cage. Uh, he's, <laughs> uh, that's funny, uh, and, and, and he is he has discovered that on the Declaration of Independence is a secret message. Um, and, and spoiler alert if you haven't watched the movie but Ben Franklin made some special glasses with like a green lens and a blue lens or a red lens and and he had to go find the secret glasses and I'm thinking to myself, come on, Nick Cage like like we we probably would have shined a red light on the Declaration of Independence by now to see the secret map but no, he found the secret glasses and the message that has been there since the beginning of America he finds it and then all of the treasure is found it's a wonderful movie, you should go watch it with your kids uh, I'm getting some amens in agreement this is funny to me there's oftentimes the message, the map, the, the biggest treasure, it's been there for hundreds of years on the Declaration of Independence, but it's not until you have the extra piece of hardware to see it. Let me, let me ask this question. Are you able to see what God is doing in and through and around you in the world around us? Is it possible that God has been at work in your friends' lives, in your life, at your your co-workers' life? Is it possible that God's been moving in all of these ways, but we've been blind to it? Not because it's not there, but because we're missing the last piece of hardware, the, the special glasses to see it. That's kind of what we're going to read right here. Nicodemus is a man who knows things about God. He has... Ph.D. If if he lived today, he would be Doctor Nicodemus with a Ph.D. in theology. He knows God. He knows the, his Hebrew scriptures, and he is having a hard time seeing what Jesus is talking about. And I just—if that feels like you or someone you know—let's uh, let's unpack it together. I think I think we're going to find some really good stuff. Read with me. I'm going to start in verse one, and I'm going to keep a close look on the clock because I want to get to the end of this. Um, but there's so much at the beginning. One more piece of housekeeping is, um, what we said when we first opened John, uh, at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to repeat it is that John, the whole book is this masterful back and forth between the Western mind and the Eastern mind. The Eastern mind is Jewish scriptures and the ways that Jewish people thought. The Western mind is Greek thinkers and like philosophers. You and I who live in America, we really see the Western side of John's writings really, really clearly. That's where I'm going to try to spend most of my time today, but all tangled throughout here that if you, if you just put on your Old Testament glasses, you're going to see that John is threading these two themes together so beautifully, so perfectly. And there are a couple of spots where we're just going to have to stop and talk Old Testament for a moment. But uh, let's let's open in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, this is this is fascinating to me. Nicodemus, uh, a lot of people give him a lot of hate. He came to Jesus by night. He doesn't want to be seen by his friends. But hey, you know what? He came to Jesus. Like he he got there somehow. John has already opened up his book, and like some people love the dark, some people love the light, and you know all of that is in John chapter one. Nicodemus seems to be someone who he's kind of. Operating in the darkness, which is going to be a theme of blindness here in a moment. Um, But he wants to know more. He comes to Jesus by night. He has some questions, and he begins by saying, Jesus, we know, we know that you're from God because no one can do the signs that you do unless they're from God. And so Nicodemus's take on Jesus so far is he's kind of standing back, he has some questions, but he's pretty well convinced that that man, Jesus, has come from God. And then he admits, he's like, we all kind of already know this. We know that, that the signs that you do, that word signs, uh, if, if you're going to follow along uh, in your Bible and you don't mind writing, maybe you put a box around the word signs every time it pops up because John loves the word signs. Because signs point to something else. Nicodemus looks at Jesus and he says, there's these signs, and they're pointing to the fact that you've come from God. Now, none of this is making sense, but we believe that you're from God. So I need to ask some questions. Nicodemus is a man who should know some things about God. He knows uh, what sin is. He knows about the Garden of Eden. He can, he can talk about all of the prophets, all of the Psalms. He probably has memorized more of the Old Testament than you have memorized any songs in your life. And, and he comes to Jesus and says, We believe, we know that you're from God because of these signs that you do. But what's going on? How How is this possible? He says, unless God is with him. And so verse 3, Jesus answered him. I love that Jesus gets straight to the point. He meets Nicodemus where he's at. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't have a lot of time for small talk. Uh, anybody else here get like, you, 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 when you have to start a conversation with small talk, you get kind of wore out. Like, hey, you're just getting tired of beating around the bush. I love that. Jesus doesn't start with like, hey, how about the Mastros? Yeah, oh yeah, so the weather was great yesterday. None of that. Nicodemus says, hey, we know that you're from God. And Jesus says, well, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Ugh, you know, just straight to the point. I, I like that. Imagine, imagine what that means to Nicodemus, first of all. Nicodemus is a guy that if, if, if he's a teacher of the Jews, if, if you have a question about God, God's things, God's kingdom, what God is like, you're looking for a man like Nicodemus. You would go to him. He's the PhD in all things God. And Jesus just told him, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. What what Jesus is kind of hinting at, and we're going to unpack in a moment, is that there's, 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 ample evidence of what God's kingdom is doing, what it's like. And Nicodemus, I'm afraid to tell you this, that unless you are born again, you're actually just blind to those. You're like the kid who has the box of cereal with the secret message on the back, but you haven't yet found the glasses to figure out what the secret message is. God's kingdom is there. And if you aren't born again yet, um, you're going to be blind. You can't see the kingdom of God. This is, this is kind of beginning... This this kind of there's there's this dichotomy uh in in churches. There are people who they come and they try church out for a bit. Maybe you know somebody like this. They're like, Hey, I'm gonna go do the church thing. Like my family's in a spot, I need I need church in my life, I need I need my kids to have church in their life. And then they go to church, they do all the things, they attend, they read their Bible, they study the things. They go to the community group, they pray the prayers, they send their kids to the camps, but after like a month or two, the church thing, air quotes, the church thing just isn't sticking. Like, why doesn't it stick? Why is it working for Bill over here, but my family isn't getting the same bit out of it? Jesus is going to start to tell this man who knows a lot about God and churchy things, it's possible that, that you can be blind to the kingdom of God. How can we make this stick, this church thing? So, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice notice, Jesus isn't real judgy about that. He, do, he doesn't say, listen, you knucklehead, you're just blind. What are you, ignorant? It's just like nobody makes fun of the person who is literally blind. Hey, why can't you see the red light? I can't, I'm blind, you know? Uh, Jesus is just making a statement of fact. Maybe, maybe Nicodemus doesn't know he's blind. Um, it's possible that you and people we know walk through life blind to the things of God and not even realize we're missing major bits of information. And so Nicodemus, he's, he's going to kind of push back. You know, this idea of being born again is kind of creepy, of course. Verse 4, he says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, a lot of people, they, they think, well, Nicodemus is just missing the point. Let me tell you something. Nicodemus has a very high IQ. He's very, very smart. He's framing these questions in a way that, that kind of hints that he knows what Jesus is talking about, but he's still confused by it. Jesus is saying that you have to be born again. Something new has to come out of you and and Nicodemus is like, "Listen, I'm I'm old. I've got a lot of life behind me." That makes a lot of sense for the kids, like the kids who haven't had a life yet to be born again, but I have, you know, he may have a wife at this point, he may have kids. He's, he's an old man. How how is it possible, G- Jesus? How's it possible for me to be born again? There's uh, not enough time for us to chase this rabbit, but there's this whole Jewish uh, uh, rabbit trail that's unfolding right here that a lot of people see what Nicodemus is doing is kind of hinting to the Jewish people as a people group were birthed in Exodus, you know, you know 1,500 years before this moment. And he, he, they say that that Nicodemus is seeing that Jesus is saying, like, the entire people group have to be born again. Why isn't—here's another way of asking this. Why isn't my identity enough right now? Why is it that, that God can't just like fix the last few things in me that need to be fixed so that this world can make sense again? And Jesus' response is, you have to be born again. I want, I want to paint a picture of how Nicodemus sees the world at this moment, and you tell me if this doesn't feel like you. Uh, Nicodemus sees the world of God is real, God is good, God is true. Um, God has called us to live a good and righteous life, and yet I look around I'm supposed to have this life of, of of holiness. I'm supposed to have this life of of abundance. But I look around and my world around me is broken. And I see pain here. I see struggle here. The Romans are oppressing me. The government's coming down on my people. And the only explanation I can think of, Nicodemus would say, is that there must be some unchecked sin. In our community, that God is kind of judging and and what I need what I need from God is for him to maybe just remove that last little bit of sin so that we can get some of these blessings right here does does the world look like broken and doesn 't make sense around you? Do you see people that are hurting you're like, why is that maybe maybe it 's sin maybe that 's what it is. Maybe God just needs to do one little tweak right here see Jesus. His response isn't that you need a tweak, Nicodemus. You don't need one little thing added to your life. You need to, you need to be born again. So he pushes back, Nicodemus pushes back and Jesus responds in verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit this this idea of, of of what jesus is offering is everybody everybody who's alive was born of the flesh but he's like there's there's another nature in you that has to come alive See, see, God isn't interested, according to Jesus, God isn't interested in just taking the life that we've built for ourselves and we got, you know, we're just this short of perfection and then adding onto it what is needed to get the rest of the way. What, what Jesus is describing is our flesh is this and it's possible to be alive physically and not yet alive spiritually and miss all of the world that our spirit should be involved in. It's our spirit that's going to see the kingdom of God. He's kind of making the claim that Nicodemus is that right now. What does it look like, what does it look like, do you suppose, for a person to be physically alive and spiritually not alive yet? To be be physically alive is to is to have aspirations, goals, a job, success, taking care of my family. We we can live from from birth to 80 and be physically alive and not yet spiritually alive. What does does someone like that look like? Um, Jesus will explain it later in in future bits, but we can kind of grab some of this from Nicodemus. What is Nicodemus like? Nicodemus is a guy who knows a lot about God, but he's blind to the things of God. Do we know anybody like that? Nicodemus is a guy who is outwardly successful, but inwardly a little fragile, and he has some questions that he needs to ask God, and now he has this chance. Do do we know anybody who's like that? To, To be physically alive and spiritually not yet alive is someone who they can find things that work for them, and look good to the rest of the community, but they miss the things that satisfy. They find the things that work, but they miss the things that satisfy them, that really get down into the soul. My gosh, is our generation not a generation that knows how to get things that work and then just wake up as dissatisfied as anything? That, that that just paints really all of America. When when I was working on this message, I kept thinking about Robin Williams, who who you know he took he took his life, and uh, I never met the guy. I just feel like I would have been best friends with him. I loved this guy. Uh, he's he's hilarious. Uh, he had a great sense of humor. Everything about him looked uh, uh, successful. He had every Disney contract you could want. He was the the dadgum genie in Aladdin. Like he was amazing, but at the end of his life he's writing messages about how dissatisfied he is. Everything about him looks like he should be alive and well, but spiritually he's writing like I am dissatisfied in this world. That's that a dark, dark moment in his soul. That's what it looks like. We're talking about someone who's physically alive and spiritually not yet alive as someone who is deeply, deeply discontented and dissatisfied with this world. And Jesus is saying it doesn't have to be that way. Too many people, people we know, famous people that I can point to, and Robin Williams being one, just say this must be what it is. And Jesus is saying no, no. There's more. Your spirit can be alive. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And then he tells, and I'm guessing right now that Nicodemus is just staring at him, jaw wide open, like, "Are you kidding me? Do you know who you're talking? I'm the teacher of Israel. Like, I'm sure he's just sitting there, just, just speechless and. Jesus continues, verse seven, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't, don't have your mind blown by that bit. It gets better. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Here's why Nicodemus is having a problem understanding Jesus. Because Nicodemus felt like he understood God pretty well. God was tame. God was understandable. God was safe. God was in Nicodemus's box. And Jesus says, no, the spirit is more like the wind. You can't contain the wind. You can't tame the wind. God is going to do whatever God wants, and he's going to solve his problems his way. Don't marvel at what I'm saying to you. You should understand God to be a God that you're not going to fully understand and put in a box. Listen, Americans... Christians, Um, if you're following Jesus for a season, don't put God in the box where you know how He's going to solve everything because He's the wind. We can't control the the wind. It's gonna it's gonna go wherever it wants. It's gonna do whatever. So Nicodemus, I like this. This is where most people, I think, would probably just like leave Jesus. Like, okay, whatever, man, you do you. Boo, I'm gonna go over here and just be a Pharisee. Like, this would be a really common moment for people to be like, okay, you're just you're too heavy. But to Nicodemus's credit, he follows Jesus all the way to the end. Because why? Because he looked at Jesus, and he said this at the beginning, we know that you are from God. Here's Nicodemus is stuck. Because if you believe that Jesus is from God, you only have a few choices. C.S. Lewis put these three choices out as the only three. I think he's right. I can't think of a fourth. Your choices are Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Those are the three choices, liar, lunatic, or Lord. And Nicodemus is like, I don't think he's a lunatic. I think he's from God. I don't think he's a liar. I think he's from God. I'm only left with, I don't understand what he's saying. And so he asks a follow-up question. One question I always want to know from people is like, what do you do with Jesus? Where do you place them? What category do you have? C.S. Lewis says uh, there are three. Nicodemus has placed them kind of in the Lord category. And so in verse 9, he asks the follow-up question. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our Testimony. Notice notice something that Jesus did right here is that um, he talks about things that we know and things that we have seen. Now to, to the Jewish mind, this just kind of satisfies the law. Like as you're building a testimony, you have to have people who can give a testimony. But you and I, we're 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 Americans, we're Greek-minded people. He's talking about knowledge here. And so if you've studied epistemology, uh the, the study of knowledge, how do we know things? You're left with two categories, and you have to choose one of these. There is rationality, that's reason, things that we know. And then there is empiricism. That is like the scientific method, things you can smell, touch, feel, and see. And Jesus says, hey, I'm from God. You've already admitted that. And I'm telling you, I know God with my reason, and I've seen things of God. You need to take my testimony with a little bit more credibility. He even he even adds that he says if if I have told you in verse twelve if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things he's like you don't have the categories for the heavenly stuff yet I'm just giving you what you can take right now this is beautiful work of Jesus you know a lot of us we want we want to keep asking questions of Jesus and keep like pursuing things of God and Jesus is is kind enough to not give us information that we don't yet have categories for to hang them on. Um, Uh, one day I'm, I'm with my oldest son. Uh, he's not, he's not in here. Uh, and, and we, uh, were at Walmart and we're leaving and there's the, the, the missing kids poster. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And it's like every time you go in there's like new missing kids. Like, hey, have you seen this kid? And, and he's, he's just learning to read and he's reads like missing kids. He's like, dad, those kids are missing. I'm like, ah, no, it's it's terrible. And, uh, dad, you know, why, why are they missing? He's like, ah, they're, you know, their, their parents are, uh, they're, they're looking for their kids and they don't have them. Maybe probably somebody took them or something. He's like, said, so, well, why would anybody take take them? And and I just like, I'm not going to answer that because my six-year-old at the time doesn't have categories to understand what's going on in the world. Jesus stopped short of overloading Nicodemus with things that are beyond his categories to understand. It might be that all Jesus wants of many of us is to deal with first, who is he from? If he's from God. Then, then we, we take the next steps. And so he says, if, if I tell you of earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. No one, no one has come from God, Jesus says, except me. I'm the only one who can give you a testimony of what God and God's things are like. This is, this is pretty heavy. But it, what, what, Jesus, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is like, you have to get this right, buddy. If you're going to be someone who sees the kingdom of God around you, you're going to have to get me right. You're going to have to deal with if I'm from God, I'm the only one that's coming from God. And we can move forward from there. And then he adds that, that weird thing in verse 14 about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. And like for us, you know, we don't know a lot about the serpent. Nicodemus knew his Old Testament really well. Um, I have a little note inside of my Bible. If you want to go read it later, go go do it. Numbers 21, I would, I would recommend you go read. It's only about 10 verses. It's a wild story. Uh, and I said I would keep this mostly uh, Western mind, but we have to do a little Jewish background stuff if we have time. In Numbers twenty one. What Jesus is referencing when he talks about the serpent and Moses lifting it up is that there's this moment where Moses is leading the Israelites uh, out of Egypt and they're going through the wilderness. You, you may have heard this story. Uh, there's the cartoon like "Let my people go" and like they, they leave, they march up. and then for like forty years they're just marching around in the wilderness. Um, and if you don't know this, uh, but leading people uh, even today uh, has a lot of grumbling in it. There's a lot of like there's a lot of like ankle biting and stuff like. I don't know if you have kids. Maybe you know what that feels like, where you say, like, hey, we're going to go to the store. Like, I don't want to go to the store. You know, it's kind of like that, except Moses like, hey, God's going to save us. And they're like, we don't want to be saved. And so as they're wandering through the wilderness, they start complaining. They start whining. And they go to Moses and like, what are you doing, Moses? You just, you and your God brought us out here to die. And we don't even like this food. We would rather go back to Egypt and slavery. It was awesome. We love slavery. We want to go back. They got real grumpy real fast. And God's judgment to them in Numbers twenty one in this story is that He sends down fiery serpents and so they just wake up one morning and there's just snakes everywhere, slithery little snakes and they're just they're just all over the place and they're venomous and they bite people and when they would bite someone the venom would get in them and it would rot them and they would die and so the people are like ah. Oh! We're all dying. We're sorry. We love you. We love your God. We're okay with the food again. Just please tell God to take these snakes away from us. Notice the snakes came, the venom is in the people. And their answer, their question uh, of God, their answer that they wanted God to answer is: take the snakes that he that are here away from us. And God gives Moses a different solution. He doesn't take the snakes away. He says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. It's not going to make any sense at all. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get some bronze. I want you to make a snake. Looks exactly like it. I want you to make a snake. Put it on a stick, okay? Bronze snake. Looks like those snakes. Bronze snake. And I want you to put it on a stick, and I want you to mount it. And anybody who looks at that serpent who's been bit, and they look at that serpent, they're going to be healed. They're going to be saved. But if they just like, that's dumb. I think it's a dumb idea. They're just going to die anyway. The venom's in them already. If they choose to look at the serpent that you put on the stick and you post up really high, they're going to be saved. And if they choose not to, they're going to perish because the venom will do its work. God didn't take the serpents away. And Jesus is making this claim right now. It's like, hey, Nicodemus, this solution it's not going to make sense to you because you see the brokenness around you and what you want God to do is to take all of the brokenness out of the world. And God's solution is different because God's not in a box. He's like the wind. He blows. He's wild. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, again, I don't know why I'm quoting him all day. Uh, in Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the the kids, there's this Aslan, this lion, and uh, he's like the Jesus figure of the book. And the kids are like, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver looks like, good night. Nobody said he was safe, but he's good. He's good. He's wild. He's a wild animal, but he's good. He's not safe. He's, he's good. You know, um, we, we live in a world where the question becomes, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? Either he's not good or he's not powerful enough to do something about it. And then people are just walk away from God and they stop. they stop caring for God. And Jesus is kind of answering that right here. And he says, no, God is both good and he's powerful. The problem with you is that the solution that he's offering doesn't make sense to you, and it doesn't have to. The solution he's offering is just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and it didn't make sense to them, so too will the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite phrase for himself, favorite title, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And that doesn't make sense. Like, Why would the cross of Jesus rescue us from the venom that's in us? It's a complicated question with, I think, a potential answer, but it doesn't make sense to Nicodemus, and he's blind to it. And Jesus says, I don't need you to understand it. I'm just telling you, this is how God works. And so so we get through all of that. He says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, Then we get to the most famous verse. I'm running low on time, but we get to the most famous verse of the Bible. For God, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's some, there's some question here, is, you know, whose voice is this? This might be the narrator talking. My Bible, it's in red, so like, it doesn't matter. It's either Jesus talking or John like filling in the gaps for us. But The answer here is, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, God gave his son to be lifted up, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. You're like, oh, what, what does that mean? Well, the venom, the venom that's coursing through our veins, the venom that's coursing through our community, the source of the brokenness in every area of our cosmos, the answer to that is not that he takes the serpents out. He doesn't take the ones with the venom out. He just gives the antidote. He gives the antivenom. And uh, the Son of Man is going to be hoisted up on a cross. I have all these things in my notes about the, the snake. You know the snake symbol is like a medical symbol? Like This has been around for thousands of years. That's, that's fascinating. Verse, verse 17, it, it continues. You know, God loves the world, and whoever believes in the Son isn't going to perish, but they're going to have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's, here's a fascinating fact. Um, Jesus' mission is not to come down with judgment and condemnation. It's to come down with a rescue plan. And it doesn't make sense. and It's not intuitive. And maybe if you were God, you would have done it differently. But our God is the wind. And just as Moses made this bronze serpent and lifted it up and people would look on him and find rescue, so too will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever looks at him will be rescued. He didn't come to bring more venom. He didn't come to bring condemnation. Why? Because the condemnation, the venom, it's already in our people. Nobody, nobody that you've ever met has been born without the venom that we're talking about right now. The nature of sin that is broken and leads us astray. The venom is at work in our people. What we need isn't to be removed from this world. What we need is anti-venom. The condemnation is already there. And you're like, Jesse, that sounds like a stretch. Jesus didn't say that. John, Because we all know churches that are like, Jesus is wagging his finger at all these people and all these things. Well, here's how John continues. He says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The venom is already there because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what we're left with is that Nicodemus, the first person who comes to Jesus and is kind of dealing with him on these, on these like, oh, who are you? What, what are you? Terms. Is left with, like, hey, it might be, Nicodemus, that you're just blind. You're still in darkness. Listen, God, God really is good and He really is powerful. He's working out this world, the brokenness that you know about, he's working out in a solution that will have its effect. But this cross, this moment isn't to bring condemnation because the venom is already at work in us. And so as as we as we close, I just want to think think through this for a second. It says, you know, Jesus. He didn't come to put the finishing touches on our already almost perfect lives. Nicodemus is like, hey, what do I need? What, what, what little thing am I missing to connect the dots? And Jesus' response is, you're not missing something for your flesh nature. Your spirit isn't alive yet. Your spirit has to come alive. You have to be born again, Nicodemus. And so, and so he came to give us a new life so that we can be born again and see with fresh eyes the kingdom of God at work in us, around us, and through us. Listen, if if you struggle to see God at work around you, it may be you just don't have the equipment yet to see it. It may be that your spirit has not yet been born again and you have that nature alive in you. I came up in, in, you know, like an old, old church, sang a lot of hymns. There's a hymn. I love this hymn. It's a beautiful song that I won't sing. Um, it was written in 1922. The, the hymn, you may know it if you, if you grew up in the same kind of church as I did is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I don't know if you know that song. It's so beautiful. I like it. Even just saying the word, I hear the tune in my head. Listen, listen to these words. Because this, this author, her name is Helen, uh, Lemmel. She, she traveled around. She wrote tons and tons of hymns, but, these, these words are this message right here. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. You know, what she's singing about is someone who's woken up. The, the, The spirit is alive, it's been born again, and now has eyes to see what God is doing around her. Do you see what God is doing around you? Do you see the kingdom of God at work? If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling to see God at work, I just want to encourage you to to choose which lens to look through the world. Choose to, to seek him and to seek the world his way. You know, uh, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That phrase is in the entire passage about, hey, let's stop worrying about all the things around us. Maybe we're looking through the lens of worry, Christian. We're looking through the lens of uh, uh, obligation. We're looking through the lens of brokenness. And we're just like... I- I haven't stopped long enough to look God's way. If you can't see the things of God and you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you to like, deal first with who Jesus is? The opportunity to be born again is yours. John 1 uh, says that for all who received him, to receive Jesus, he gave the right to become sons and daughters again, to be born again with a spirit that is alive. Let me, let me pray for us. And then we'll watch the the cue together, Father. Um, Father, this morning we we are in a world that uh, we see so clearly uh, brokenness. We see so clearly the problem, uh, and so many of us are looking for a solution. Lord, we thank you um, that that you've given us the solution, the cross. I pray for us that we would we would find rest and hope in that. I pray for those of us who just really have a hard time seeing uh, your power and your goodness, Father, that you would wake us up. Um Lord I pray for those of us who have not yet uh been born again that um you would you would call us to you that we would receive you and would see clearly what you're doing around us Lord may we rest in the success of the cross may we look uh unto you as as the venom uh is doing damage around us and we find rescue and um for those of us who have rescue uh father give us the willingness to go to a world that is broken um and to lead them back to the solution. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.